brilliant. Amen. I just found this behind the curtain. I've never seen this before. But it's full of chocolates. <laughs> where, where did it come from? I didn't make it, did I? Trevor Daniels is desperate for one. Oh, man. Sorry, Trevor. I've thrown two. I haven't missed him every time. All right. See if I can get you this time, mate. There you go. Some over here, you're looking a little worn and sort of forlorn over here. This side, anybody? Chocolates? Here you go. <laughs> All right. Oh, 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 sorry. 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 Here you go. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing there, but what the heck, eh? <laughs> Who's going to go mad at me, right? <laughs> the youth pastor. Yeah, right. I'd like to see that. That'd be good. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, uh, yeah, Tuesday, of course, no doubt. No doubt. Hey, um, one of the things, uh, what um, Pastor Tim shared this morning is absolutely, absolutely accurate. The whole, whole idea of the fact that, uh, you know, our Christianity is not just some wish, but that it's based in a, a reality. It's based in a fact, the fact of the resurrection. And, um, what I find as absolutely uh, amazing, mind-boggling in fact, is that uh, a group of, uh, of uh, Jewish blasphemers, if you will, who followed a dead carpenter nearly 2,000 years ago, without a, without a gun, without a blade, uh, without a sacred text, without a, uh, uh, anything else, a, 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 a geography, they didn't have a land, and yet they turned their world up Side down. They went around everywhere saying that man no longer needs to sacrifice, that the sacrifice for sin once and for all has been completed, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And they took this message not just throughout Galilee and Judea, not just not throughout Israel, but to the world. And change it. And what I find remarkable, right, is that is that the um the Roman Empire that crucified Jesus and tried to crush his followers, that used the imperial might of Rome to exterminate this Jewish knockoff cult, right? The very person they tried to crush, the very movement they tried to impale. Within a very relatively short space of time, it might seem long to us, but it was just a few hundred years. In fact, it was, it was uh, 380 AD, uh, in the Edict of Thessalonica, where the Emperor of Rome said Christianity is not just the official religion of Rome, it is the sole religion of Rome. Now, if you told this to John the Baptist, right, a couple hundred years earlier, when he's sitting there and they're standing, I should say, in the Jordan River, baptizing people and, and getting into the uh, Jewish uh, religious establishment and telling the Roman soldiers off, if you had told him that in a relatively short space of time that Christianity would be the foundational belief structure of the Roman Empire, he would have he would have leapt for joy. He would have leapt in his mother's womb, arguably. He would, he, could all, he would have found it difficult to comprehend. And here we are, 2,000 odd years later, and there are more crosses per square meter in this city, the city of Rome, than any city on the planet. And yet this was the city that tried to crush the origins of what you and I are a part of. It is almost unimaginable 
that they repurposed pagan temples. They uh, demolished places of uh, worship to, uh, to, the, to Roman gods. They were outlawed. The whole Greek god culture was put to one side. And of course, this message would eventually go around the world and reach here, us here in Australia and you in particular and me, here, us here this morning. When Jesus came um, 2,000 years ago, he came with a very specific uh, agenda. Uh, initially, the people loved him. In fact, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News spread of him throughout the whole countryside. He's teaching in the synagogue and everybody praised him. Everybody thought, wow, this guy's really cool, you know. He's a cool new rabbi that's teaching us a new spin on our religion. He's giving us all this new insight into our Judaism. He's a prophet, and he's speaking about the future of our nation. We think he's fantastic. But the truth is, Jesus did not come to extend something. He did not come to fix something. He came to replace something. Jesus came with something brand new. See, it says a little bit later in the the book of Luke, it says, and they were filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they thought. They said, God is here to help his people. But they were wrong. God was here for so much more than just the Jewish people. But they hadn't comprehended it yet. They hadn't understood the breadth of his audience at this stage. It wasn't the extension of something old, but the beginning of something new. There was a tension in the air then, and this tension started to build as Jesus' message started to uh, grate, if you will, against against the religious establishment of the day. And in Matthew, which many of us in this room would know very well, we've all heard no doubt of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it marks a stark change in the focus of Jesus' ministry. Uh, He's now starting to say things uh, that really people are struggling with. And the tension is starting to build. And of course, the tension would culminate in his crucifixion. So we're not just talking here about awkwardness. We're just talking about elephant in the room that, you know, a few of us are uncomfortable about. We're talking here about red faces. We're talking here about anger starting to boil. And uh, Jesus didn't call it the Sermon on the Mount, obviously. Um, we've called it that later. And many people believe that the, the content of the Sermon on the Mount was actually preached many, many times. Uh, this became the core of Jesus' message that if you were to take all that he taught from the Bible and put it together, it just covers a few months. And of course, we know that his ministry lasted three and a half years. So clearly he said a lot, but the core of what he said, that they, uh, scholars believe is kind of summarized in this really uh, potent part of the Bible, which is uh, pretty much Luke chapter 6 and Luke chapter 7. Uh, it was very difficult for them to, to, um, uh, to digest, very difficult for them to even listen to. Uh, he said things like, Blessed are the poor. Now, they didn't comprehend that because in their minds, material blessing was a sign uh, or material affluence was a sign of the blessing of God. Um, All of their patriarchs were rich. Uh, Abraham was rich. Uh, uh, Isaac was rich. Jacob was rich. David was rich. Solomon was rich. And they, uh, they uh, concluded from that, that if you're rich, in other words, you have a whole bunch of material wealth, then that's because you are blessed by God. 
Yet Jesus came and he said, blessed are the poor. They thought, well, I'm not sure I want that kind of blessing. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was quite encouraging though because there was a lot of poor people. And so the poor for once in their life felt included in the blessing of God. Jesus said things like, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, they, didn't, they thought blessed were the power brokers. Uh, blessed were the high priests, the people who had authority. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's a blessing on those who make peace between men. He said, blessed are the pure of heart. Now, this was not what they were taught. They were taught that blessed were the ceremonial clean, the ceremonially clean, right? So that was an external thing. You didn't touch dead bodies. You didn't go into Gentile houses. You didn't eat unkosher food. You washed your hands before you ate. There was a very clear line of cleanliness, of purity and you would be blessed if you were able to ascribe to that to, to that um, uh, uh, pre, uh, predetermined process of cleaning but Jesus said no 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 it's an internal thing he said blessed are the pure of heart what no no Jesus you've got this all wrong we know before we go to the temple to meet with God, we've got to clean this, we've got to clean that, we can't touch this, we can't go there, we've got to you know, go through all of this, this process. We've got a book that tells us how to be clean so we can see God. And Jesus throws all that out the window with this statement. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. He's ratcheting up the tension. And then he says to these Jewish people something that they would not have wanted uh, to, to have been thrown on them at all. They were not interested in this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be salt. <laughs> Thanks very much. For salt to be effective, it has to touch, right? I don't want to touch the world. Our whole system is built on separation from the world. <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't want to be salt, I don't want to be light. I don't want to show people the way. I want, I, we're, we're a Jewish nation, right? We are the chosen ones. We've come apart and be separate. I'm not interested in salt. I'm not interested in light. Goodness me. I don't want to, we, we, we want to keep as far away from those Gentiles as we can possibly can. We've been told, right? Don't let our sons marry their daughters. Don't let their sons marry our daughters, keep, their, uh, keep their, this, this racial purity happening. Uh, we're not interested in going and being the salt and light of the world. And he goes on and says in uh, Matthew five sixteen in the same way, let your light shine before others. We don't like others here. <laughs> others are not welcome. You know, you've got to fight your way in. And I have to say that's somewhat human nature. We don't necessarily, you know, embrace others. My friends and I were in a church in, in Scotland the other week and we just turned along. We turned a bit late. It was a last minute decision. And we walked in and we walked out and nobody said hello. Nobody even looked at us. We felt like, oh, well, others aren't welcome here. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much the case everywhere. Jesus says, let your line shine. This is, this is interesting. Let your, line, let your light shine before others uh, so that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Rubbish. We don't want people glorifying our Father in heaven. We want people fearing us and fearing our God like they did in the days of Joshua when we ruled the world. Come on. 
when King David and we had the most powerful nation on the earth and people didn't glorify our God, people feared our God and people respected us. What's this nonsense that Jesus is trying to teach us? <laughs> that he wants us to let other people in on our God. We want them to fear us and fear our God, like in the days of Joshua, like in the days of Moses, like in the days of David, like in the days when we as a nation were the world's superpower and now we're a subjected people. No, 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 this, this, this is... And, 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 and the, you, you, the, the tension in this, in, this, in this environment is so palpable. There's like beads of sweat on, we read this stuff and we go, oh, blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> we think this is all so sweet and all so lovely, but you are wrong. This is revolutionary. I mean, this is pushing people back. People are thinking about, I think we're out of here. I can't stand this stuff. And that's why he says this. He says, he says do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Why did he say that? Because that's what they were thinking. I mean, Jesus is a smart communicator, right? People who communicate for a living try to, you, you, you try to think about what, how people are responding and head that off before they get there. So Jesus throws this out there. Hey, by the way, everybody, don't think I'm, you know, don't, don't think I'm going to throw out. Don't think I'm here to, let me get what he says exactly right, because these words are so powerful. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. But know this, the tension that you are feeling is a reality. There is something coming that is completely new, that is going to blow your minds, that you are going to struggle to come to grips with. The tension is real. He says this, I come, I come not to abolish, but I've come to fulfill them. I'm not replacing them. I'm not updating them. I'm, a, I'm asking you to abandon them. If the Old Testament was an assignment, I've come to complete it. If it was a problem, I've come to solve it. If it was an airplane, I've come to land it. And I'm asking you all to disembark. The tension that you are feeling is real. I'm not adding to something. I've come to replace something. The law and the prophets has an expiration date attached to it. He says, I tell you the truth in chapter 5, verse 18, as he continues on. Uh, 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 for truly, I tell you, uh, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will, will uh, by any means disappear from the law until. So he says, he said, this is going to hold strong till a moment. And then he articulates what that moment is until that's a, that is, there is, a, a, is a powerful preposition. That's a powerful word, until, because it, it tells you that there is a system in place, but that one day that system is going to be done away with, and it tells you when it is, when everything is accomplished. Well, when would that be? I think that would be when the person who is in charge says, it is finished. And we know that that has happened. <laughs> this was unimaginable to these people. I mean, Jesus, you're good, right? I mean, there's no doubt you're good. <laughs> I mean, we've all come, you know, and Jesus kept miracles and, and feeding them. He's just to keep them on the way, you know, to lose the crowd. You know, we don't like what he's saying, but boy, he healed my daughter, you know. I don't like what he's saying, but oh, I was hungry and then now I'm, 
now I'm full. And Jesus is bringing them with him for a very, very specific reason. Something that Paul would point out later, that Jesus came under the law to fulfill the law and to bring something brand new, that the covenant between God and the nation was about to become a covenant between God and all mankind. And, and, and here's the thing, folks, and you say, well, why are you telling me this? Here's the thing. The early church struggled to make that separation. Constantly, time and time and time and time again, if you read that the letters written by Paul and, you know, to some degree others, Peter, uh, you'll see that they keep, they keep coming back to this, trying to draw this separation, to break this cord from what you and I define as the Old Testament. They called the law and the prophets. They didn't have an Old and New Testament, right? Uh, but but, but they're, they're bringing over all this, all this legalism and all this old stuff into this, into this whole brand new idea and the two are irreconcilable. The two are not working. And Paul addresses it. Peter addresses it. And I want to suggest this to you this morning. I want to suggest it wasn't just the first church that struggled with this. I want to suggest to you this morning that the 20th century church has struggled with this and the 21st century church has struggled with this and you have struggled with this and I have struggled with this and that's why there's so much condemnation. That's why there's so much legalism. That's why there's so much bitterness and anger and uncertainty in the church because we're trying to bring two things together that just don't gel. Jesus said many times and you've no doubt many of you would have heard of this he says you've heard it said do not murder but I say to you don't hate you've heard it said that if you give your wife a certificate of divorce you know you're all good to go but I'm saying to you no no you got to think again you've heard it said don't commit adultery but I'm saying to you no 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 that's that's then this is now I'm saying to you don't look upon a person don't look upon a woman and lust you just imagine these people listening to this thinking you can't replace our Jewish religion. You, you think you're better than Moses? I mean, all our life we've been taught, Moses said, and Moses did, and Moses brought us out of Egypt and to the point of the promised land and gave us our 10 commandments and the, the virtually the other 600 odd that go with them. The, the whole thing was scribed to us by Moses. And we've been living this way now for thousands of years. You are telling me that you are better than all of this and so jesus says in verse seven so in everything let me sum it up let me put the uh let me bring bring the, the biscuits down to the, to the bottom shelf so even the children can get them is really what he's saying here um uh, do to others what you would have them do to you and what, what he's doing here is he's preempting a fundamental ethic that is going to be the cornerstone of this brand new movement that he's come to start. And that you and I are a part of, part of something that's been revolutionary in its beginnings, but it's been growing for the last 2,000 years. He says, well, this sums up all the law and the prophets. He was foreshadowing something far less complicated, but far more demanding. That's why it says in, Jesus had finished these sayings in Matthew 7, 28. The crowds were amazed at his teachings. They're like blowing their, their, their minds. They, they're struggling to come to grips with it. But they said this, when he speaks, there is this, there is this unmistakable authority. 
It's not like the, the, the teachers, we go to you know, the synagogue or we go to the temple and, and the high priest or the not so high priest whoever you know, shares, a, and, and, and we're, that's interesting, you know, we hear it and our parents teach us. But when this guy speaks, his words resonate. When this guy speaks, you just can't help but lean in. There is an authority here that is, that is unmistakable. He speaks like the author. He speaks like the architect. He speaks like the knowing one. And of course, we know that he was. And it's kind of like this. This goes on now for a, a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. And finally, Jesus drops this bomb. This is a bombshell, folks. What I'm about to read to you, if I could take you back in time, if I could put you in a time machine and bring you back 2,000 years ago and plant you in this Jewish culture, what Jesus is about to say would blow your mind. And it's kind of like, I think he's getting to a point where he's getting frustrated. I don't know. He says, okay, this is how it is. And he says this, listen to this. He says, I tell you that something greater then the temple is here. Now, can I just fit you in on that for a minute? What's greater than the temple? Now, many of you would have heard of Solomon's temple, right? Solomon built this huge temple. And then, of course, <clears throat> this is history. Um, the Babylonian Empire came in, destroyed the temple, and then they let the captives go back to Israel, and they rebuilt a temple. It wasn't as big as the first one, but, you know, it was there. And then King Herod came. You know, be aware that Herod came along, and sort of out of doing a deal with the Jewish authorities to make sure that Rome got a, got a smooth passage, he actually rebuilt the Solomon Temple. And so there's this huge temple now in Jerusalem, which is the Temple Mount today, the Dome of the Rock. I could show you photos. You no doubt would have seen them. And there's this huge temple there. And now Jesus comes and he says, something greater than the temple is here. There's nothing greater than the temple in Jewish culture. And you know why? Because in that temple is the Holy of Holies. And what's behind the Holy of Holies? The presence of Almighty God, the Ark of the Covenant. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, all kinds of things. Uh, we're talking here about the, by probably now remnants, but maybe remnants of the actual tablets transposed by the finger of God right, on Mount Sinai in the desert with Moses. I mean, that's what's in the temple. I mean, there's this golden seat where they pour the blood of a lamb that, that, that releases the sin of the nation. This is, this is a place of reconciliation with God. This is a place of holy presence. This is a symbol to the nations of the preeminence of the religion of the Jewish people. And Jesus wanders in and says, something greater than the temple's here. Are you serious? Here's the thing. Work this through with me, right? Here's the thing. If something greater than the temple is here, then we don't need the temple. Come on. Come on. The temple is the foundation. It's the, the hub of our community. Fact, fact check me on this if you like. Interesting fact, because if someone would have quipped to, to Jesus, well, if Jesus, if something greater than the temple is here, then we don't need the temple, right? That makes sense. 
And I think Jesus would have just responded with an all-knowing smile because the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, in 70 AD, the hand of Titus, the emperor of Rome, the 10th legion of the Roman army, after one of the most bloodiest sieges in Israeli history, marched into Jerusalem and took that temple and removed every brick from on top of the other one in that temple, pushed it over the edge into the valley below, and you can go there today and still see the stones left from that temple. You see, God knew there was no need for the temple because something greater had come. Now, they had no idea what was going down. And you might say to me, well, how is this important to a single mom? I'm a single mom and I'm struggling to make, you know, just to get through every week. Why, why are you giving me this history lesson this morning? Or you might say, I'm a young person worried about my future. I'm an old person trying to make ends meet. We're married and we're struggling in our marriage. How or why is this important? Folks, there is nothing more important than what we're talking about right now. You and I are right now talking about Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important than this. And what we're going to do over the course of the next few weeks, for what, is, for what this is worth, as we run into Easter, is we're going to start a series on a Sunday night called A New World Order, where we're going to, we're going to retrace the steps of Jesus from his appearance onto the world stage until his resurrection. And it is my hope, and we're going to have every week, we're going to finish around the communion table, and we're going to, we're going to have a different style of communion every week. We're going to look at the, the, the different traditions of communion and the way different people uh, celebrate it, and we're going to have a different style of communion every week. So you know, it gets a little bit, you know, we all do the same thing sort of once a month, but we're, we're, going, to, we're going to change it up with a view, with a vision, that when we finally hit Easter, that Easter hits you like it's never hit you before in your life. Now, to add some spice into this, uh, a few weeks into it, we've got one of the uh, preeminent scholars on the New Testament and, and Christology in particular, actually in the world. He's a professor. He's not just a doctor of theology from Cambridge. He's actually a professor of the New Testament. So he professes, he speaks a lot. And uh, um, <clears throat> he's just been seconded back to Australia by Alpha Crucis, our national college, as their, as their, their dean of theology. Uh, he was headhunted internationally and brought back to our nation. Now, interestingly, for those of you who've been in this church a long time, his brother used to pastor this church. His name is Rick Watts, and uh, he was Gary's brother. And uh, he's going to be with us on the 15th of March, right, as we work through this whole <clears throat> um, <clears throat> new world order that Jesus came to build. That... Uh, uh, that this um, Judaism, right? The Old Testament was a cocoon, divinely concocted and inspired cocoon that God meticulously put together that it might give birth to something completely different. And we acknowledge the cocoon and, and there are some lessons to be learned from the cocoon. There's no doubt of that, you know, some principles, whatever. But eventually the cocoon was to be left behind. And, and the reason why this matters, and, and the reason why, if you're here this morning, look, if you're here this morning, right, and Christianity is your world, you know, and you've you got your friends in church, and you know all the songs, and, 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 you know, you can relate to all the Bible characters, 
and you're happy with that well maybe it's not so important maybe uh, but if you're serious about being part of a revolutionary band a group that was started only 2,000 years ago and was commissioned to send into the world to turn the world I would like to say right side up not upside down you see Jesus gathers and, and I want to just focus on this last uh, <clears throat> this last bit of of Jesus teaching before we close this pre, uh, if you will, uh, or this, this oversight of, of where we're going to be heading in these next few weeks in the Sunday night services. But um, it's, it's G- Jesus gathered all of his followers together. <clears throat> he's, he's been crucified. They thought it's all over, but then Jesus has come back from the dead. And he comes and he says this in Matthew 28, verse 18. <clears throat> he says, all authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know how Malcolm Turnbull feels about that or Donald Trump for that matter, <laughs> right? Because there's a lot of people who think they have a lot of authority, right? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I, I, I mean, you might think, well, you know, my boss, he has authority or she has authority over me. You might think my spouse, well, they have authority over me. My parents, they have authority over me. The bank has authority over me. (laughs) The government has authority over me. Jesus made this statement. All authority has been given. Not to Moses. Not not to the high priest. Not even to Caesar. If you can sort of cultify this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth therefore as a result he's saying you've got to appreciate this i now hold the keys to all authority in heaven and on the earth as a result of that there is there is an ensuing responsibility there's something that flows from this unequivocal fact uh, one thing I, 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 we're going to look at in, in the weeks to come here, I love this. You know, when G, um, Jesus appears, in fact, we might have looked at it, when Jesus appears on the, uh, uh, on the stage, John the Baptist is baptizing. You know what he says? I love this because it, it really ties with what Tim said earlier. He says, Look, look, look. He doesn't say believe. <laughs> See, we think believe. John the Baptist said, Look. In other words, don't check your brains at the door. Christianity is not based upon hyperbole. It's not based upon some kind of principle. It's based upon a fact. And that fact is the fact of the resurrection. That fact is the fact of the life of Jesus Christ. See, you might be sitting here this morning and maybe you've heard something or someone said something, you've experienced something and you thought, I'm not sure about that Christianity thing. The things in the Bible ain't necessarily so, as the song once said. And maybe you had a, you know, a, a professor in uni or, or somebody who said, you know something, you can't believe everything in that book. And you know, you've gone home and you thought, you know, that's probably right, you know. And is it seven literal days? Well, was it 7,000, seven groups of thousand years? I mean, and what happened to the dinosaurs, you know? And what about this and what about that and what about the other thing? I've got to tell you, my friends, 
you know, some of that stuff's interesting. We can argue about it. The cows come home. I tell you what matters. What matters is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. We've got to stop looking to all these other things. What about this? And what about that? Explain this. I've got to tell you what the foundational principle of yours and my gathering here this morning is upon nothing else but Jesus Christ. It's not based upon your experience. It's not based upon some principle. It's based upon the fact of the resurrection. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now, therefore, as a result of me holding all authority, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of Moses and the prophets. He doesn't say that. He introduces this whole idea of the Holy Spirit. And the what? Baptizing them in the what? But, but, but we've been functioning in the name of Moses and the law and the prophets. No, no, Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then he makes this other, this other uh, statement. He says, um, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. <laughs> well, what was that? What did he command us? What, what, what was the foundational principle, the foundational ethic? There is one foundational ethic that holds us all together. And we'll be looking at that in the weeks that lie ahead as we pursue this particular agenda and then he makes this incredible phrase he says and surely i am with you always even to the very end of the age in other words there's no statute of limitation on this i'm just not with you while you can see me i'm just not with you whilst you know we are establishing um uh some foundations to this new group that i'm i'm calling the church and we've got a we've got our own sacred text we call the new testament and we've got some some real estate and no 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 he says i'm with you always see here's the thing that's not a we sometimes think i think that that's a promise of of comfort you know oh jesus is with you jesus is with you jesus is with you but it's not Jesus is saying, you've got to appreciate all authority. Now, now you people understand authority because you're under the Roman, um, uh, you, you're under the curse of, of the Roman emperor. Uh, you understand when, when, when the uh, seizure of Rome says this, it happens because he has authority. Uh, I sometimes think that, you know, we've kind of lost what authority means in our culture today because we don't want to listen to anybody. We, are, we set ourselves up as our authority. But these people, they understood authority. They understood the authority of the temple. They understood the authority of the high priest. They understood the authority of Rome. And Jesus is saying to them, no, 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 no. Those people have no authority anymore. All authority has now been gifted. It's been granted. It's been placed in my hands. And I'm telling you that as you go, that authority exists in yours. You know, it's, it's not as you sit there and it's not as you, it's not as you, you know, kind of, well, well, you know, I get this wonderful Holy Ghost experience and I felt power. No, power comes as you go. <laughs> power is not promised to you as you come. Power is promised to you as you go. See, these people were taught Secure the borders and expel the foreigners. And Jesus come and said, spend your borders and speak to the foreigners. Yeah. 
and show them the love that I've bought and the compassion that I've shown. Take this new world order that's going to shake the four corners of the globe. You might have heard me say before, I've said a couple of times, how, um, how uh, China sent out a, uh, uh, an investigating force to try to find out the success of the West. And they concluded after all kinds of studies, the success of the West, the secret source of the West is their religion, is their Christianity. And it's interesting because Tim was talking to Rick Watts just this week who goes to China to lecture in the universities of China on Christianity (laughs) because they want to know about what we have. Such is the power of what we have to transform the lives of individuals and to transform the foundations of a community and a society. And folks, there is a power that is yours if you choose to go. If you say, you know, I'm not just going to sit in my little clique. I'm not just going to stay with my little group. It's my little, you know, comfortable gathering of people. Oh, there's so-and-so and I've known them a long time and there's my, you know, my relative over there or whatever it might happen to be. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for, you know, I'm all for friendship and family. But at some point, folks, we've got to go. At some point, we've got to walk across the room, as Bill Hybel says. At some point, I've got to step out of my comfort zone. This is so amazing that all authority and all power in heaven and earth has been given into the hand of Jesus. And Jesus says, as a result of that, you go. That's what I'm about. I am there with you. All authority and all power is with you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, Lord, I ask that this new world order that has sucked us up into it, Lord, this Christian world that saturated the West to a point where it's almost unable, we're almost unable to identify it. And Lord, we get so caught up in the small minutiae of life and, and what's convenient and, and when I get offended and, and what about this and what about that. And Lord, I pray this morning that we put all that aside, focus our minds and our hearts on what really is the main thing, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and in and through history. Why do we stand together, church? We're going to declare, I believe, that is such, such a powerful phrase. I believe in He who was and is.